0: This is the pro America report on the answer, San
2: Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's Ed Martin here on the pro America report. Great to be together. And, uh, I hope you're wrapping up your week and heading into the weekend. It's, uh, the week after Thanksgiving is always a blur. It's and can you believe it? We're in December already. So, uh, uh, getting ready for Christmas. Uh, we've got a couple in our family. We've got a couple birthdays in this month of December. So, uh, a lot happening. I hope you have a great uh, December and run up to uh, Christmas and the New Year. Uh, okay, in a few moments, got two. Uh, we got two guests. Um, we're going to catch up with my old friend, Mickey Kaus, uh, who is a contrarian Democrat. He is critical of the teachers unions, critical of the immigration policies, believes that the uh, working man has been left behind uh, on both of those. Uh, the teachers unions as well as uh, immigration. And he's just a great contrarian guy. He always gets me talking. We'll talk with Mickey Kaus. He lives up in uh, uh, the L.A. area uh, and writes uh, on Twitter at Kaus, Mickey, K-A-U-S, Mickey and then we'll also talk with a new guest also from California. He's a lawyer up in the San Fran area. His name is John O'Connor, John O'Connor. He's um, going to tell me, give me some thoughts. I, I asked him to come on to talk about his, um, uh, take on this, uh, uh ftx the cryptocurrency this scandal and how it looks like a ponzi scheme we'll see what he says he's a former prosecutor and a defense attorney and lawyer and uh, all around interesting guy he's also written a book on watergate that i'm fascinated by and uh, we're going to visit with him in a few moments a uh, new guest to the program john o'connor so all that coming um but first i want to point you to something i want to show you how um a problem Will be proposed, will be uh, floated out there into the world and into the community, and then it will be solved, right? So you have to first, you know, create the problem and then solve the problem. This would govern. This is what governments do, and you know, the the classic example is Rahm Emanuel as chief of staff to uh, Barack Obama, President Obama. Rahm Emanuel said, "Never let, let a crisis go to waste." And so you get a crisis and you do something with it. Well, over in Europe, the EU which is this multinational, you know, extra national uh, uh, organization growing in power and influence, squashing other nation states uh, and only being pushed back by some of the movements uh, in Hungary, Orban, uh, Poland, uh, the uh, Fidesz, uh, Italy, a little bit with Georgia Maloney. We'll see how far it goes. Uh, Also, Matteo Salvini and other things, other grassroots movements. Brexit seemed to be a push against the EU, but the EU is dominated. And they're dominating because they're able to force the economies uh, to work together. And it's dominated, by the way, by the Germans more than anyone. You go talk to someone who's involved in the EU, especially the uh, European Parliament, and they say the Germans are the bullies. And you see it every now and then. But what has happened recently is there's been great conversations talking about how there's lots of spies and a lot of them are Chinese spies, they say. And it used to be Soviet. Now it's Chinese. And they're spying in Brussels where the EU meets. And this is a big deal. And so it's unbelievable. And this and that and the other thing. Now, you have to say to yourself, well, you know, what's worth spying on? Well, it's only worth spying on when there's lots of money involved or influence and power. And that's what you have. Right. I mean, you have that thing happening. So that's the it's a description. There's nothing worth spying on. Uh, If there's nothing worth spying, on. I'm not going to spy. So if there's stuff that's worth spying on, meaning that there's uh, things that are being regulated, uh, payments that are happening, then you're going to have spies. But here's where it gets interesting. The EU is now proposing that there be a multinational uh EU intelligence force that in order to fight the spies what we need is to have an uh, an unelected unaccountable bureaucracy created as a sec- as a state security service so a an EU CIA a single body coordinating the European bloc's espionage efforts what could go wrong right what could go wrong and here's what i'd like to de- describe to you I would like to uh, 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 posit, and I, I'm not an expert on this, but I'm going to get some more knowledge. I'm going to go dig into it a little bit more and see what I can find out. And I, I'm not sure that I know the answer yet, but here's my assertion. As the scope and power of governments grow, centralized governments, there is an increase, obviously, of, of the value of influencing what happens. So if you have a government in 1850 that has a, a only a, a line item of, A half a million dollars to purchase, uh, uh, um, you know, um, equipment for building um, uh, for for straightening out um, um, rivers. Right. There was a big problem at various times. You had to get rivers. And uh, what do you do? Do you do do, 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 do dig dig canals next to rivers? Let's say it's five hundred thousand dollars. A lot of money back then. Eighteen fifty. But that's it. Fast forward to twenty twenty two. You have $371 billion with a B in the White House slush fund for green stuff uh, administered by Potesta. You have tens of millions, hundreds of millions, uh, billions of dollars going towards different groups. It becomes more important to influence how money is dispensed because government gets bigger. So once government's bigger and has more power and influence, the value of, uh, of impacting what happens goes up, right? You can see that. That's what we're seeing with the EU. What everybody said the EU would be, you know, it's not going to be a quasi government. It's going to be this thing to help trade and make things easier. No, it's growing in its power and scope. And once that happens, you don't go the other way. So watch what happens in America after World War Two, as the swamp grows in power and stature, And really kicks in on federal income taxes because we use most of our money to fight World War II after we passed an income tax in the early part of the 20th century. We use it for World War I, too, but also, but World War II is a big expense. But after that, we settled in and government grew and grew and grew. And Republicans like uh, like, uh, President Nixon did the EPA and the regulations grew and grew and grew. And the power... Of Washington, D.C. grew and grew and grew, and suddenly it became more and more important to know what was happening in these bureaucracies and infiltrate them with spies. And so what you're watching in the EU is the growth in power and bureaucracies that will inevitably bring spying. And so the answer is not to somehow limit power or diffuse power. No, it's to create a European Union CIA. Watch how that turns out. And my, so back to what you need to know today. The size and influence of the intelligence community grows in direct proportion to the size and scope of a government. And in so it only goes one way. It never gets decreased in power. It never relinquishes its influence. And so you're on a track that I don't think ends up anywhere except too much power for the intelligence community of the country. That says they're worrying about, you know, spies like our, our FBI, our CIA, our intelligence community, clearly using its influence, its, its abilities to uh, to change what's going on in the country because they think they know better. That's what you need to know. And that's a major problem. And it's unAmerican, American, but it's inevitable. And you can see it developing in Europe, in the European Union, because the CIA of Europe won't be used only to fight the spies. It will be used to enforce what the EU wants as has happened and happening in america and it's a major problem and how you can reverse it is maybe the great mystery if it's at all possible it's major league challenge all right we got to take a break we'll be right back when we come back we will talk uh, as i mentioned with john o'connor and we also will visit uh, with mickey cows be right back ed martin here on the pro america report back in a moment (music) Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. It's been a long time since we talked to my old friend Mickey Kaus. If you uh, follow his writings, he doesn't send enough of these emails when he writes, but he's fallen into uh, what can only be described. I think his parents probably feared it when he was young. He's now uh, uh, doing a a blog, uh, uh, doing a podcast with video, uh, with culture and culture quite frequently. So, you know, I mean, this happens. Everybody slips into these periods. But uh, Mickey, welcome back. How are you? Thanks, Ed.
0: I'm fine. I'm a little politically uh, down because, you know, uh, I, I too, bought into the idea that there was going to be a big red wave by yep. the end of the campaign. Right. And now it looks like B- Biden doesn't think he's been chastised at all for his border policies. So he's just going full steam ahead. I think you had Todd Bensman on the show explaining the latest yeah. wrinkle, which is just letting everybody in legally under this Doctrine called parole, yeah. and he thinks he, he thinks the electorate said, "Oh, fine, let's go ahead." And there, uh, the McCarthy is a weak leader. There are a bunch of, I think there was a uh, a, a tweet by Chip Roy this morning saying. There are all these Republicans who are willing to work with the Democrats to elect a speaker other than McCarthy that that bodes ill for what's going to happen with legislation. Right. Uh, and 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 I don't see a presidential candidate who's going to rescue us unless Trump gets out of the way.
2: Well, and so, but well, let's. Well, let me pause and ask you a broad, a broad question, sort of thirty thousand feet. We're talking about Mickey Kaus again, and if you go on uh, Twitter, especially, you can follow him and what he's uh, saying there. Uh, it's uh, at Kaus Mickey, his last name first, and uh, so. When you watch this election come down, we talked about i mean we, we talked a while ago, but um it looked like all the sort of basics were off kilter for Democrats, so it sh- if not a red if not a red tsunami, a bigger red wave like i I, I really don 't understand how. Fetterman beats, uh, Oz, um, how Kerry Lake loses to Hobbs in the sense that in an environment where the, the direction is good for one party and then the other candidate is a relatively good communicator. In both cases, they were extraordinary communicators and Fetterman was quite literally half brain dead and, and Hobbs was very milk milquetoast. Uh, so here we are. I mean, what did you make of tw- uh, November? Is it well, just the, the lesson? Yeah, go ahead. The,
0: the lesson I took away, and when, when you get away from the, the date, is usually one or two big lessons that yeah. emerge. The lesson is that independent voters uh, were turned off by the "Stop the Steal" rhetoric. That mm-hmm. stuff turned out to be toxic, uh, and uh, they valued that more, or enough of them valued that more than all the other factors that were pointing against the Democrats, like the chaos at the border, like inflation, like crime, all of which were valid issues. I don't think, I you know, I don't think it, those things were rejected as issues. Talk to the people in New York whether crime was an issue. That's where McCarthy got its advantage. But right. uh, but um, th- they were overwhelmed by this one other factor that if we get rid of it, we're in good shape. If we right. if we just and most people have realized that all the candidates except for Carrie Lake, I think, conceded. They didn't even even when they had a legitimate objection, they conceded. Uh, and so I think the stop the steal stuff is 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 going to go away unless Trump is the nominee. Then we're saddled with it.
2: Uh, we're talking with Mickey Kaus again. Um, and, and so, um, OK, I think. Um, and, and what you're saying is where it's close, because, you know, Pennsylvania is going to be close no matter what. Arizona is going to be close no matter what. That was enough of a turnoff. I, I, I guess. Right. That's what, and in places where it was not as close, Ohio was not. Not as split it's going to be you can you know get past that because uh, what's his name uh, JD Vance was was certainly on the was talking about how the election didn't go right and all that and um, yeah okay I'm, I I see the lesson now you mentioned that your your the Biden administration didn't learn anything do you have any confidence do you have any confidence or hope that the Republican house will get their stuff together to focus on the border and and as I say that I, I want to encourage you to remember in the last what 36 uh, 48 hours Paul Ryan has reemerged to talk about how and John Thune seconded it earlier today. We can cut uh, entitlements, you know, Medicare and Social Security. People won't really mind. And I'm sure what's coming next is we need the workers, um, which is this is the old sort of Republican GOP way. And Henry Barber has put been put in touch of another in, in charge of another autopsy of the Republican National Committee, which is the same thing they did in 2012 slash 13. So you have any hope? That the Republicans in the House are going to do the right things?
0: Uh, Not with the margins they have now. Uh, You know, Ryan was always going to make a comeback. I think it will be thwarted. I do not think the Republicans will succeed. In getting a lot of popular support for cutting Social Security, <laughs> uh, and it's it's sort of like a, a suicide uh, right. charge at right. this point. Um, so uh, that part's not going to work. The immigration thing, I am worried about. I'm worried that there is going to be some kind of amnesty. Uh, my sources put say it's the dangerous six out of ten, uh, which is not good. In the lame duck, that there'll be some sort of deal of. Uh, trading dreamers, and by dreamers they mean they'll expand it so it's four million, five million people uh, in exchange for some bogus, you know, border control, uh, you know, measures. So uh, I, I, I think the immigration thing is a legitimate worry. You have employers who want cheap labor. They don't want to coax Americans back into the workforce. They'd rather have the Americans go on the dole and, uh, you know, foreigners come and work for cheap. Uh, So that's that is a danger. And I do think they'll do something with Mallorca's. But then will there be a big drive to impeach him that actually gets him out of office and changes policy? I have no confidence in that.
2: Uh, We're talking with Mickey Kaus again. Kaus Mickey uh, on Twitter at Kaus Mickey on Twitter Um, is uh, on the border i i don 't know uh, mickey is it, it felt like for a while. Uh, people were really starting to feel it and understand it and see it. But if we go back a little bit, remember um, Kate Steinley, Is that her last name pronounced correctly? The woman right. that was so tragically murdered. But it sort of captured what was wrong. It, you know, it became like the emblem of what was wrong. I, I just wonder if sort of the Biden administration has figured out how to make it a mess, but not a mess that you see in any dramatic way uh, and the media is playing along and therefore the public doesn't get it.
0: Well, that's right. If if there are no TV uh, opportunities, it sort of fades. For example, when there were 10,000 Haitians gathered under that bridge in Texas, that was a story. Okay, yeah, Does the Biden administration say we're never going to have 10,000 people under a bridge again. We're just going to let them in quietly in the dead of night and bus them to American towns and nobody will ever see it. And the media will be media will be complicit. And that's what's happening. DeSantis uh got some publicity with this with these bus trips to uh to uh you know um, Mar- uh, Cape Bond Martha's Vineyard yep, yep, and uh yep. but that sort of faded and if uh, unless unless there's an obvious media hook i think the uh, the the press will will help covering it up and it's it's sort of nobody will Will feel it enough to have it be a huge scandal?
2: Uh, we're talking Mickey Cow. So Let me slide over. I was looking at your Twitter feed earlier uh, in the day, or I'm not sure when it, when the tweet was, but uh, you were, there was a Jonathan Turley tweeted that um, the Twitter guy, one of the Twitter uh, top guys, who's now resigned, Joel Roth, who has written a New York Times piece explaining how um, how uh, uh, Google and uh, and Apple should uh, mess with Twitter. He laid it out for them, but he, he now says. He was against blocking the Hunter uh, laptop story, um, which everybody knows now happened. Um, You know, Mickey, are we going to is Musk going to actually expose how we think, which is that, you know, Twitter was just a a, a den of left leaning folks who were penalizing one side. Are we do you think
0: we're going to get to see that? Well, he has promised that we're going to get to see it in a tweet. Right. He, he promises a lot of things like <laughs> there'll be self-driving Teslas, you know, right. two years ago. right? Uh, but I think he, he has an incredible incentive now to do it because, uh, you know, he's been rocked on his back heels by, by this counterattack uh, and by, you know, Apple threatening to uh, t- right. take Twitter off its app store. So if he can uh, show that he's on the side of the angels uh he gets a, a big boost and so i think he will yes
2: it's um if 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 it comes out if there's a sort of you know i think probably somewhere between a smoking gun where there's an email between you know uh, uh jen pasaki i guess jen pasaki wasn't in power but it does make as hard as they're fighting to not have her be deposed you wonder who she was emailing or talking to or whatever but if there's some exchange where it's um you know some senior biden uh campaign person uh saying hey shut this down and then you know don't let it go i mean that be a smoking gun I I think probably more likely there's sort of coded language that you won't you'll see you'll know they were doing something but doesn't it bring you to the next point isn't it true mickey i mean doesn't it have to be true that republicans and democrats democrats and republicans cheat on elections i'm not saying it's enough to swing every election but the the people the interested parties that want to say the system works are the ones who win and we really haven't made progress since 2020 20 in making the system more transparent for people to feel like oh yeah i get it okay that that worked really well we still have this sort of i don't know kind of messy sloshing around it it, it's not a good thing
0: i think that's right uh you know the takeaway from the election is the you know this uh ballot canvassing where party operatives go around and and gather all the ballots from people who may not even have filled them out yet and uh you know just if, if and and th- may not wanna want to vote, that's going on, and the lesson is Republicans didn't cheat <laughs> didn't <laughs> use this gray area as as effectively as the Democrats, so they should get in the game too. Right. If you've ever worked on a campaign, the people at the bottom level are very dedicated, but they're insane, they right. really wanna win, they will not stop at petty legalities when it comes right. to to winning and and we've sort of loosed that on the nation and and the whole system is now more chaotic and less trustworthy than it was 10 years ago. Yeah. I think you you're onto something and uh you know it it looks like you know a campaign to restrict mail voting go back to in-person voting at least uh it, 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 that's not going to happen but you know if if people make up enough fuss that is the logical area to have a have a good government campaign. Yeah we, I, I, a, I, a, the problem is the problem is as you know
2: it's a weird position to be in because and you know you did this you when you ran for office and by the way the late phyllis schlafly used to say one of the most important things she did was run and lose meaning if you run and win you think you're a genius and you go on to be you know you're ready to run for president if you lose you've learned a lot about how the system works what you just said is very important there's a point where the people who are more crazed about the race generally are the grassroots you know the the bottom supporters that come in and usually the spouse the spouse is mad like there's a lot <laughs> uh, the spouse is or the spouse is irrationally mad uh, at somebody all the time. But but my but my my, my thing here on this is that it's um, I don't think you can you go out and say, hey, you know what? We want to restrict mail in balloting. We want to restrict absentee balloting. Who hears that? It's not poor people, low income people who hears it as seniors and and they say, wait a second, you know, and they voted a high percentage. And I I think you're sort of if you're a conservative, you're in a box because we finally learned because of Trump that you and and Trump was the first that I saw do it nationally. He said, I'll never cut your Medicare. I'll never cut your Social Security. Whether he was lying or not, it didn't matter. Seniors needed to hear that. They didn't need Paul Ryan saying we're going to just means test your Social Security. uh, If you I mean, uh, yeah, if if you're wealthy, we're going to do this and that. And Jack Danforth said, yeah, I'm willing to have that happen and more normal normal old people went what so we're in this box where to argue for same-day voting puts you against a lot of people that like to vote so it's really a, a
0: it's a trap if you if you think about it it will take a big scandal right to put the but if you also think about it there will be a big scandal
2: well that's my that's what i'm exactly you, you did what I, you went where i was going we're talking mickey cows by the way cows at cows mickey on twitter i'm actually saying if twitter shows the smoking gun then we're a smoking gun of something scandalous i don't know a congressional race a governor's race where we actually see it not just mike lindell yelling about it but we see it then everyone goes oh crap that could be happening here uh now i can't let you go mickey without asking you, Trump, um, I know you're you're, you're joining the uh, the chorus of people. We got to get past it. We got to there's other people that have good positions, et cetera, et cetera. I just want to ask you, if you go back and, and you say to Mickey Mouse of 2015, who can get through the juggernaut of the Democrat system, which starts with, I don't know, 240 electoral college votes, they just have them locked up and can navigate I I don't know. And maybe Trump can is your point. Trump can't do it anymore. But it doesn't it's it's pretty unlikely anybody that isn't willing to really go to war on this is going to get close.
0: Well, if first uh, everybody's saying it comes down to four states. Okay. Yep. the states are close. So uh, if Republican has a huge advantage, they can win those four states. And the Democratic field is pathetic. So and DeSantis is a very strong candidate, so it's completely not inconceivable to me that if DeSantis had a free run of the nomination, uh, he could beat whoever the Democrats throw up. Certainly, he could certainly beat Kamala Harris. I don't think she'll be the nominee, but um, I think he could beat Biden. Uh, so uh, I, I'm, I'm not pessimistic except for Trump. I think Trump is the 2000 pound monster standing in the way of victory. Well, okay. I'm, I'm sorry. No, I
2: know. I know. I am. I'm not. I'm not you're. You're, you're, I'm... you're more right than wrong most times. So I just. I'm... I just watch this and I say to myself, I've been in a room with DeSantis, and it, it, there's a lot of governors that lined up. Remember how heroic and talented Scott Walker was? He was just. A, he was really tough. He was tested. He got in the kleeg lights to the big leagues, the top level, and it was nothing. It was a nothing. And I. I just don't see this. DeS- I don't see DeSantis having the, fill the room kind of quality uh, as a candidate. In in this era, but then again, you know, I once asked the late Phyllis Schlafly that. I said, "We're looking at the field," and I, I said, "This is fifteen before Trump got in," and and she said, "Well, w- one of these people, they don't look like it now, but they'll suddenly fill the fill the space, and you'll you can, you'll be able to see it. So maybe it's there. I will we'll find out." All right, I got to run. Uh, Mickey Kaus, you- go ahead. Sorry. F- Thanks a lot, as always. Yeah, it's great. Great to talk to you. We'll have you back sooner uh, than later. Mickey Kaus, everybody at Kaus Mickey on Twitter. I'll put up, he does have some great uh, uh, great conversations with Ann Coulter. Um, he's kind of the Coulter whisperer. He gets her going. It's great. So I'll link to those too. And we will take a break and be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report, back in a moment. <laughs> Welcome back. Welcome back, Ed Martin. Here on the Pro America Report, I have been intrigued and very pleased now to have our next guest. I, I've been intrigued by the um, by the uh, um, um, the situation that has developed. I'll say like that, where the FTX CEO Sam Bankman Freed has um, clearly had major trouble in his life and uh, has been um, now is now doing a, a, t- a tour of interviews. Uh, quite extraordinary, actually, because I think he's in more trouble than. than than he's letting on. And so um, I think he did George Stephanopoulos. And I mean, it's just incredible to see. Um, And so we have a uh, former federal prosecutor, uh, John O'Connor, who has agreed to come on. And uh, he has a background uh, that would fit what's happening in terms of what is what has somebody done, at least to describe the range of what you could be uh, in trouble for. And so uh, he's got a book called The Mysteries of Watergate. What Really Happened? uh, Postgate, How the Washington Post Betrayed Deep Throat. Uh, covered up Watergate and began today's Partisan Advocacy Journalism. And he's also um, a former assistant U.S. attorney in Northern California. So welcome, sir, to the program. How are you?
1: Hey, good to be with you, Ed.
2: Uh, first, um, that the title of your book, which I didn't get a chance to look at more closely, um, the, you, you, refer to began today's partisan advocacy journalism. I guess my first question, I mean, you're an attorney, which means you've done enough, uh, uh education, you know, you've been through law school, you've been, uh, around and seen a lot. I should say you're, you know, you're not a kid. You practice law for three or four, almost four decades or more. Um, when did it, when did we have a journalism that was, was not advocacy? Maybe Maybe it wasn't partisan. Uh, is that what you mean? Or, you know, I, you get what I'm saying. Was it really better in, 90, in the 1970s or 80s?
1: Well, it was actually it was. Well, <laughs> yeah, it was better before 1972. Let's put it that way. OK, Where people made an attempt to state the facts. Now, you may have Walter Cronkite might might have a wiggle of an eye or an expression that might show he likes one of effects better than the other. But he made an attempt not to make his opinions known. He made an attempt to appear there, Uh And that's at least was the spirit of journalism before this, that the whole idea was to say all the facts, to at least let all the facts be out there. And then hopefully to have a lively discussion about them through. Uh, through advocates uh, for instance on shows like crossfire on debate shows right right right. but 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 things changed after watergate and remember before watergate tabloid journalism uh, was considered second rate was trashy the drew pearson type of stuff jack anderson investigations were considered low class Hmm. now what we've got is uh after watergate Great. Investigative journalism, whatever that is, it's really prosecutorial journalism, now becomes in vogue. But think about it. If your goal in investigative journalism, so to speak, is to get a target, and that's really what it's about, uh, that's really the stated purpose, Mm -hmm. is let's uncover something that is bad. Well, you get your Pulitzers and your wealth from hitting a target, from getting a scalp. Right. It changed everything. Now that's cool. Now what you are is you're a celebrity the way Bernstein and Woodward were. Uh You have a movie. You have a book. uh, You're considered the last authority on things. Uh, Everybody wants your opinion as to what's true and false. That's not the goal of a journalist. Yeah. And uh, or should it be its job? But then what happened is everybody emulates this. If you're going to do this, you have to pick sides. Mm -hmm. Now, unfortunately, in Watergate, uh, it was a very popular side to go against. Everyone loved the idea of uh, getting this surly guy in the White House, Nixon, Mm -hmm. Uh, even though he was actually a fairly moderate president. He wasn't really very conservative at all. Very moderate president, but he had personal qualities that many people didn't like. And he had been that way through his whole career. And so he made a great target of uh, a sort of a television type villain that 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 looked guilty. So that's where it all started. Yeah. And uh, and and then we went from there.
2: Yeah. Um, we're talking with John O'Connor and uh, a lawyer in private practice, a former prosecutor. I have to tell you, John, one of the things I and I, my notes I'm looking back at. It's so fascinating. You you have a uh, you have a um a website for Postgate book for the book that you wrote on Watergate, uh, but it, within it is a podcast. And I think I looked; I'm, I'm, I can't remember it now. But it was over about a, almost a year where you went um, bite by bite and basically went through Watergate. I, I mean, I think the first episode was uh, you know about who the play, first episodes are who the players are, and um, it's almost say a way to uh, I don't know. It's kind of a. Uh, oral history that's not the right phrase it's almost like you your crack at history in a way I, I guess what you're doing is you already did the book and you're trying to get it out in as many ways as you can but it's much more uh, you're not just reading the book you're you're talking about what's gone on it's I I only listened to uh, two of the episodes for parts of them but it's it's pretty effective uh, and I wonder what your thought is I mean if you if, if there's fake news everywhere now and I think there is most people feel that um it, there's also fake history almost everywhere and you pro- you probably look around and and say oh, oh I know I'm sorry John I'm now rambling but uh, I had a guest on the other day There's a new book from a Yale University professor. She's highly credentialed about the FBI, and she basically just whitewashes all of Hoover's, not his eccentricities, forget about what he was doing in his private life, what he was doing with the FBI. And she's writing history. She's a history professor at Yale. So when you did this sort of podcast uh, follow-up to your book, I mean, do you have any hope that there'll be a real history of what went on at Watergate? Because most people have an impression, like they do January 6th, like they do, uh, the Mueller investigation that is not completely copacetic, I think.
1: Well, that's right. Right. Look right now, if you want the best history of what really happened in Watergate, read my last book, the mysteries of Watergate, what really happened? Cause that's what I try to do. I try to tell people the real story and what wasn't printed because it was completely different than what was printed. And I felt how they could get away from that. Um, I, I tell how they could uh, uh, get get uh, over on the public that way. Mm-hmm. And they were very effective at it. They were very, very effective. in, And I tell how they were able to do it in keeping very important facts from the public, facts that people don't know today. Now, they're out there. You can go out and cherry pick them here, there and the other place. But that's why I put everything in one place and did it in a coherent way and then put an explanatory wrapper around it as to why, for instance, the CIA would be involved in Watergate and so forth. Um, but what, the reason I did it was to show how it is that that a uh, an, a topic as important as Watergate, the only time in history that a president has been removed, and it was really a, a journalistic uh, a uh, pooch uh, here. Mm-hmm. How, how, how that happened, and it happened on the basis of very much incomplete information. And it's a very scary thing. I mean it as a cautionary tale, but 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 there is false history. So what happens is now we have a battle. The post is trying as much as it can to deplatform me. Mm-hmm. I mean, people are terrified of the post's wrath if they give me too much attention. Uh, on this book, or if they give the book too much attention, I don't care about me.
2: The the Washington Washington Post, you mean, because it exposes them, right?
1: Right, exposes them, and as a matter of fact, the way I read it, there's a new book that came out, for instance, Watergate, A New History by Garrett Graff that he wrote in conjunction with the Post, clearly, and then the Post praised it when it came out, but in every inflection point that I point out, You know, maybe there I'm just I'll count it, maybe 60 or 70 different facts and maybe uh, 10 or 12 very important ones. Uh, The guy deliberately whitewashes or ignores them and Hmm. skips by them Hmm. and gets into other things. And then the post uh, praises him by saying, uh, uh, gee, this is so important because this book shows that there are certain things we just can't learn at all because, gee, a lot of witnesses are dead, and we're never going to know some of these mysteries. But, boy, uh, he did a great job on this history. And now now history's all wrapped up, and we can forget about Watergate now. This is the complete story. Well, it's not. It's, <laughs> this book was put out precisely to combat what I am saying now. Uh, now, there have been some other people that preceded me, That told part of the story And they were really wonderful A guy named Jim Hogan Had a brilliant book Back in 1984 uh, Called uh, Secret Agenda And a fellow named Lent Kolodny Had one called Silent Coup Which had portions of the real story uh, In their books And brilliantly conceived By the way I I put everything together in my book Some of it derivative Some of it my own work uh, Um, But all of it factual
2: um, John, I, I don't want to lose this time because we're already going long. Um, I want to ask you about Sam Bankman Freed. Now, again, to set this up, John O'Connor, we're talking about his writings on uh, on uh, Watergate because he's, uh, I'd say, a historian on it, but he's also a practicing lawyer and represented lots of big name folks and, and, and names you wouldn't know in complex litigation and negotiations and such. Have you, First of all, have you ever seen someone, Sam Bankman fried who clearly had something major wrong with what his business was doing, go on a PR tour like he's doing? I mean, this is another example of how crazy the world is he's out talking about what happened when i think he should be lawyered up and being quiet but i don't know what what's your thoughts
1: well remember all the statements he's making are very broad in general he is out there even though his lawyers are probably wetting their pants right (laughs) what he's trying to do is he knows he's in in criminal jeopardy and so he, he keeps announcing more and more that i didn't know I wasn't aware, uh, all sorts of criminal defenses. Gee whiz, I didn't realize how bad things were. I didn't realize this was going on. My just, just this failure of controls. All of these things are criminal defenses. He knows he screwed up. However, what's very hard to get around is the fact that Alameda, the research firm, was using investors' chips. <laughs> Mm-hmm. That were held in FTX, you know.
2: Right, right. A,
1: a person thinks his his stuff is safe over at FTX, and it's held in an account. Well, he's lending that, just rating it, basically having Alameda raided or as uh, Caroline Ellison, the head of Alameda, said, who by the way lived with Sam Bankman Fried, was his uh, amour. Uh, she said, "Well, we dipped into the uh, finances of FTX. Well." That's fraud. You're taking somebody's money and you're gambling. It's like me saying, gee, Ed, you know that account you had invested with me on yeah. your stock trading fund? <laughs> right. Well, I, I I lent it to my brother-in-law, who's a great sports better, and he's been in Vegas betting it. And, you know, things didn't turn out well. And I guess, gee whiz, I I, I kind of lost track of what was happening. Right. You know, right. that. I'm sorry. If he knows that anything from FTX was pledged against... Alameda trades or was lent to Alameda, he's toast. Right. That's fraud, plain and simple. So if he knew that simple fact and he's living with the woman who headed Alameda, the two firms were intertwined, then he's he's committed fraud. Now, the other thing here, Ed, is that you have eight billion with a B dollars missing, according to the very capable lawyer who's now heading things up for the defunct uh, organization. They're missing. Well, it might not be eight billion, but they're missing billions. Mm. And so that's a big problem. Uh, Something's gone somewhere. Uh, There is a report that three hundred million dollars was invested in Bahamas uh, real estate where Sam Bankman, Fried and his girlfriend lived. So how much of this was really for his own personal use and benefit? Uh, That's probably a minor problem for him right compared to compared. simply dipping into his investor funds to to fund speculative ventures balameda so he's toast he's going to who t- get-
2: who, t- who takes this case up i mean who where's the jurisdiction for it is it because it's a i mean so who do you think is it takes the first crack at it
1: well that's a good question because um <laughs> There's going to be a fistfight over this because so many prosecutors are going to want it, both local and federal, because these are local crimes. If they're committed in a jurisdiction, they're also federal crimes, uh, mail and wire fraud. Um, But what I would say is uh, I'd have to look and I haven't looked at this where the United States locus is of the funds. If it's New York, it'd be prosecuted in New York. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was in the Bahamas. He ran the thing from the Bahamas. So then the next question would be, where did he sort of, where where his, his closest place of entrance and exit to the United States? You could do it that way. Mm-hmm. In other words, if he was coming into the country through Florida and kind of came back and forth through Florida, maybe Florida's the right venue. Um, you know, where were the funds held? Maybe in New York. So there's going to be a... Uh, there there can be a lot of states let me put it this way and the district of columbia that can claim this as the fraud having occurred in their jurisdiction in fact there may be many it's not just one i mean you can commit fraud that involves 12 yeah, states right. still 12 prosecutors can get you <laughs> but yeah but clearly the federal government can get them mm. uh and, and of course you've got investor fraud you've got selling securities uh with fraudulently but you just have basic mail fraud here wire fraud so i think the guy is toast ed i don't think there's any doubt about it and this is a very remarkable tour but you notice he doesn't ever explain exactly why it is he didn't know these things yeah or what went wrong that a, a person would say oh that's reasonable for you not to know that or i understand how you didn't know that yeah. It's difficult for me to believe or anybody to believe that he didn't know at least the basics. Yeah. Yeah. That that's, the uh, trades at Alameda were being financed by FTX. Yeah.
2: OK, uh, John O'Connor, I got to run, unfortunately. John O'Connor, thank you very much. Uh, attorney uh, at law now and a former prosecutor and an author. I'll put all this up on uh, social media. Postgatebook.com is his website with lots there. There, it's very cool about uh, his book and the mysteries of Watergate and other things. So thanks, John, for the time. Good talking to you. Take nice care. talking to you. Thank you. We'll take a break, everybody, and we'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Don't forget, I'll put up on social media links to all of those sites uh, for uh, Mr. John O'Connor and his books. Very interesting, really interesting. I'm interesting on the topic we talked about, FTX, but uh, his background and what he's done, especially this podcast on Watergate. So, all right, we'll be right back. Ed Martin, Pro America Report. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. I'm out of time. Just let me say thank you. Have a great weekend. Thank you to the great Noah Dingley, our producer, Ryan Hyde, associate producer. Talk to you next week. Ed Martin, Pro-America Report. Looking forward to it.
0: This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego